following is a presentation of Cornerstone Bible Church in Virginia Beach. For more information on Cornerstone, as well as additional sermon downloads, please visit cbcvirginia.com. I invite you to open up your copy of God's Word uh, to Psalm 1, or if you're using the Bible in the seat in front of you, that's page 448. And uh, within the last few weeks, you know, Stacy, we had Stacy and Chris kind of talking about the, the um, picnics, the church picnics being the most challenging sermon. And I, I'm offering to you that I have the biggest challenge today, even a greater challenge than the church picnic. I'm preaching on the heels of Thanksgiving. And I think uh, not only have we had probably a, a good full Thanksgiving uh, dinner uh, but then we probably, most of us, have been munching on Thanksgiving since then as well. Maybe you even had a Thanksgiving breakfast. If I had my choice, I think I'd go for that. So I think I've got the, uh, the most challenging sermon this week, but thankfully God's up to the challenge. So let's, um, let's go ahead and jump in to Psalm 1. Read along with me. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's pray. Father, as we, as we come to your word this morning, we ask and we beg of you that your spirit would be active in our hearts. Father, show us your Son, Jesus Christ, and by your Spirit, conform us to his image, that we would glorify you in everything that we do. It's in Jesus' name we ask and pray. Amen. Now, Psalm 1, along with Psalm 2, which Caleb read for us this morning, um, they introduce us to the Psalter. They introduce us to the book of the Psalms. And that's sometimes a little challenging for, for us to understand because as we read Psalm 1, it almost sounds like it's something out of Proverbs, kind of setting before us two paths of life, the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. And so we're going to kind of tease out how this introduces us to basically a book of worship, how this Psalm specifically prepares us to enjoy this book of worship that we have in the Psalms. And so as we kind of walk through this Psalm today, I want to challenge you to kind of consider, think about your own life here and now, um, here in Virginia Beach, or if you're visiting from out in town, think about the details of your life and try and decide for yourself, where do I land? There's two paths. God isn't describing three here. He's describing two paths. And you either fall into one or you fall into the other one. So I challenge you to kind of consider that question as we go through Psalm 1 today. 
And so the first path that God kind of introduces us to is the way of the righteous. And God first talks to us about the way of the righteous by the things that the righteous avoid. This blessed man avoids certain things. He says that he doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, he doesn't stand in the path of sinners, and he doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers. Now this walk, stand, sit is a form of parallelism that simply shows us that the the total life of this individual is avoiding sin, is avoiding wickedness, sinners, and the things that sinners do. And most importantly, the, the, the point to focus on there is the counsel of the wicked. That's where this all begins. The counsel of the wicked really speaks to the philosophy of the world, the advice of what the worldly-minded people would give you. So this blessed man, this righteous man, he avoids these things, whether it's his work life, his recreation, his family life, in everything that he does, he avoids the things of the wicked. So if that's what he's not doing, what is he doing? Well, in the next verse, we see his delight is in God's law. And not only is his delight, so his, his joy, his satisfaction, everything that he finds pleasing in this world is found in God's law. Not only that, but he meditates on it day and night. And I, I think for us, when we hear that word meditates, I think for most of us, we automatically kind of think of uh, kind of Eastern world religion, perhaps, is what comes to mind for you of of people just kind of sitting and, and blanking out their mind um, and trying to maybe see a vision or hear certain things. That's not what God's talking about in this psalm. Uh, this, the Hebrew word for meditates simply means to talk to oneself, to kind of murmur or speak to oneself over and over and over again. So imagine yourself, the psalm originally written by an Israelite who would come in contact with God's written word Maybe once a year, it would be read to him. So for the rest of his time, he would have to rely on what is passed down to him. And he would be murmuring, he would be repeating to himself God's revelation. That this would be consuming his mind. Uh, I like to think, uh, you know, Aubrey and I, my wife Aubrey and I, we've gotten into uh, some backyard farming. It's kind of a hobby and hoping to maybe expand down the road. And we've, like, we've messed around with, well, I don't know, maybe we should get like a, co- a goat or a cow or something crazy like that, right? Um, I think we'll need slightly more land before we do something like that. But I'm always fascinated by, you see a goat or a cow, and they're, just, they're constantly chewing, right? Even if they're not bending down, eating more grass at that time, they're just constantly chewing. And it's an animal that chews cud, right? And cud is, it's kind of gross, all right, bear with me, but it's regurgitated food that they, that again, chew over and over again so that it constantly breaks down and they get every little bit of nutrient out of that food. All right, that's almost what's in, my, in mind here. Whether, whether this righteous man is toiling away at work, spending time with his family, he's just constantly chewing on God's law, God's revelation, God's scripture. 
So we see kind of the summation of this man is down in verse 6. That the Lord knows his way. This is who he is. He rejects sin. He rejects the path of the wicked. He gives himself constantly to God's word and God's law. And God knows his way. And most importantly, we see in verse 3 that there's specific results that, that come from this. We see this illustration of a tree that's firmly planted. And this isn't, this isn't like a wild tree. You, you come in contact, you're walking through the forest and you see this wild tree that's massive. No, what's in mind here is a tree that's dug up and specifically planted by an irrigation system, streams of water, so that this tree has a constant flow of life to it. And we get the picture, again, that in whatever he does, he prospers. There's fruit on this tree, and the leaf does not wither. So whatever else is going on, you know, we look around, we're in the fall season, and we see leaves coming off the tree, and we start to kind of see the, the life cycle of these plants. That's not the kind of tree that we're talking about here. This tree is constantly feeding off of life. It's constantly alive, bearing fruit with uh, greenery constantly on it. That's, that's the tree. That's the illustration there of the person who is constantly meditating on God's word. So, the, the righteous man, the blessed man, he avoids sin. He avoids the path of the wickedness. He gives himself constantly, day in, day out, both night and day, to God's word. He's firmly planted and strong, able to bear whatever else is, is going on circumstantially in his life, and God knows his way. God cares for him in an intimate fashion. So that's the one path. Maybe you fall into that path. Or maybe you fall into the other path that's described in this psalm. We look at verse 4, and I love how simply the psalmist puts this. The wicked, they're not so. Just everything we talk about and everything we see with the righteous man and the righteous path, the wicked, none of that. So we can deduce here the wicked walk constantly in the counsel of the wicked. They surround themselves with the advice of the world. They stand in the path of sinners. Their lifestyle of how they live their life is that of sinners. And they even come to the point of becoming scoffers. And I think uh, maybe, you, maybe you have a coworker, maybe you have someone, maybe... Maybe, unfortunately, it's you where somebody talks to you or you talk to this individual about the things of God and they just kind of scoff. They kind of respond with, with mockery. Okay, so if those are the things that the, the wicked man does and the path of wickedness does, what do they not do? Well, they don't delight in God's law. They completely reject God's law. It's not a delight to them at all, it's abhorrent to them. They push it away. Do they meditate on God's law? 
Of course not. They, they meditate on something else. And to kind of bring in Psalm 2 here from what Caleb read, in the first verse of Psalm 2, it reads, Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? And that word translated devising is the same word that's translated meditate in Psalm 1. So we get this sense that the wicked are not meditating on God's word. They are meditating day and night on useless things, vanity, things that don't matter, wickedness, evilness. So just like with the way of the righteous that they did certain things and rejected certain things and there was a result, there's likewise a result for the people who walk in the path of the wickedness. Verse 4 says, They are like chaff, which the wind drives away. And, um, I mean, what, what a stark contrast of picture between a tree that's full of fruit and green leaves planted by water where it's just constantly receiving life, and then chaff. Something that's essentially dust. Something that the wind just easily takes away. It's useless. It has no use. And in, in this culture, after the chaff and, and the wheat, or whatever that grain head would be separated, most of the time the chaff would be burned, whatever was left of it that didn't just get taken away by the wind. That's the wicked man. And that's the path of wickedness. And again, second half of verse 6, we see, here's the summation. The way of the wicked will perish. They will not stand in the judgment. They have no leg to stand on before God because they've rejected his law, rejected his word, and rejected his way. They will not prosper they may seem like in this life that they enjoy some prosperity, but there was a time coming when God will make things new and he will make all things right and he will judge the world, both the wicked and the righteous. And the result of that judgment is that these people will perish. As quickly and as simply as that chaff is burned up, the wicked will perish. So, there's the two paths. Again, there's not a third. God has not said that there's the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked and then the way of the people in between who kind of ride the fence and sometimes they're maybe a little righteous and sometimes they're maybe a little wicked. There's two paths, and you're either on one or you're on the other, so which one are you on? And, you know, I'll admit, I, Psalm 1 is a relatively familiar psalm uh, if you've been around God's Word, and I would constantly come to this, you know, blessed is a man who does not walk in the council. Okay, like, that's me. I, I'm going to be that blessed man. I, I'm obviously on the path of righteousness here, and, you know, I don't do it perfectly, but, you know, that's the path that I'm trying to walk on. But if we are honest with ourselves, there is no way that we fulfill that. Is your delight constantly in God's law? 
sad to say, mine is not. And there's many things that go through my mind throughout the day, and I think sadly, it's, it's not always God's law. That's not the meditation of my mind. Uh, there's many times, circumstantially, things are crazy in life, and I don't feel like a firmly planted tree. I feel blown around oftentimes. So, if we are honest with ourselves, we fall into that category of the counsel of wicked. We, we find ourselves in the, in the way of wickedness oftentimes, even as believers. But the key here, the truth to understanding this and how we fit in, is to understand this along with Psalm 2. Because Psalm 1 lays out for us as individuals a path of righteousness a path of wickedness. And then Psalm 2 goes on, as Caleb read, that there's the nations, the people of the world are warring against God, yet God has raised up his anointed, his king, to rule over the earth. And the very last section of verse 12 says, How blessed are all who take refuge in him. You see, Psalm 1 actually lays a foundation to understand who God's anointed king is in Psalm 2. Because if God's going to have an anointed king, someone who can sit on the throne of this universe, he has got to be a perfect individual. He has got to be someone who completely delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on it day and night. He has got to be a man who rejects the wickedness of this world and is completely bought in and in love with God. And there's only one man who has fulfilled that. And that's Jesus Christ. So as we read Psalm 1, we find ourselves lacking. There is no way that I can fulfill what God has laid before us, but there is one who has fulfilled it, and that's Jesus Christ. We know from John 4, 34, Jesus said that his food, his sustenance, is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And Christ did just that. He came, God in flesh, fully God and fully man, to live in perfect harmony with the Father, completely fulfilling the law. He was the perfect example of a man being in the world but not of the world. Someone who was obviously surrounded by sinners yet did not give in to the counsel of sinners. And though what he deserved was to be completely prosperous, he took upon the curse. He took upon our curse from not fulfilling those things on himself and died on the cross to complete God's work. And again, the beauty of the gospel is not that, okay, hey, that's encouraging. Now let me read this and see what I can accomplish in this. The beauty of the gospel is that Paul can write in Ephesians that blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. 
You see, Jesus is this blessed man. And yet, as we take refuge in him, in God's anointed king, we inherit those blessings. We can now read Psalm 1, and we could say, I am this blessed man, not because of me, but because of Jesus Christ. I can actually reject the philosophy of this world and resist the path of sinners, not because I'm so great, but because of Jesus Christ and the blessings that I have in him. I love thinking about uh, the imagery that God uses and, and that Jesus specifically uses in John 15, where he describes himself as the vine and those branches that are connected to Jesus Christ, the vine, the giver of life, will flourish and bear fruit. We could almost put that and see that imagery here in Psalm 1 that Jesus Christ is that firmly planted tree and that as we are connected in him, we can enjoy the blessings and the spiritual prosperity and fruitfulness that he has won on our behalf. Now, there's many, many different ways that we can come to this psalm and uh, you know, we can pull out many different applications specifically for our lives, but I, we, we have to think through that lane. We have to recognize that we don't earn these things. Christ has earned it on our behalf, and therefore we strive in faith to be obedient and to please God, knowing that we have pleased God in Jesus Christ, knowing that we have those things in him, because again, he's won it on our behalf. Let's talk about just a few of these applications. And I think the one that challenged my heart the most is, do you, do you really believe that you can have joy and satisfaction and delight in God's word? Because I think in this room, there's probably, you know, some people in a few different scenarios here. So, some of us, some of you out there, are not believers in Jesus Christ at all. Maybe you come here on a weekly basis and you hear the stories and it seems nice, it seems good, and maybe he's a good example, but he's not that anointed king that we read about in Psalm 2. And therefore, there, there's no way for you to have any kind of delight in God's law. You reject it. Well, for you, I, I stand here and I, I, in a sense, I, I beg you that you would take refuge in Jesus Christ, that you would throw yourself at the feet of God's anointed. Because as we read throughout Psalm 1, maybe you enjoy prosperity now, but your end will be to perish. Your end will be separation from the assembly of the righteous and you will be cut down by God in the final judgment. Now, for us believers, and you know, I'm assuming here that the majority of us are believers in Jesus Christ, maybe you find yourself in a situation where it's just difficult. Maybe, maybe your prayer is, God, I want to delight in your word, but it's a struggle. 
I would say probably the, the, there's a good chunk of us in here that are like that. There's so many distractions in this world that pull our attention away and we want to delight in God's word and we want to give ourselves to, God word, to God's word. But it's difficult. Well, we need to trust what God's word says that there's fruitfulness from following in the path of righteousness. That there's uh, spiritual prosperity and blessing. I mean, verse 1 says, how blessed is the man who does all these things. So could we be a people that prays, God, would you teach us that we, uh, that we will be blessed, that we can have delight and joy in you and in your word as we give ourselves to these things, and then strive through faith to give ourselves to those things. I think another application that, that jumps out is the concept of being in the world but not of the world. Because the fact of the matter is we're here gathered in this room and we're singing songs that are uh, teaching us and preaching to us scripture. We're sitting here listening to someone expound on God's word and this is all well and good. And then we're going to get up from these seats maybe talk with some folks about some struggles and some encouragements for a few minutes, and then we're going to head back home. And uh, probably Monday morning, we're going to head off to work, and real life is going to hit us, right? So where's, where, where does what we're talking about right here, right now, connect to that? Well, we're, we're going to be surrounded by the world. We can't get away from that. And God even prayed, Jesus Christ even prayed in John 17, not for God the Father to remove us from the world, but to keep us from the evil one. So first and foremost, again, through Jesus Christ, we have to understand that we can actually resist the counsel of the wicked. We can actually resist the path of sinners and that we can, in fact, be in the world, but not of the world. I think the other big takeaway that comes along with that is we have to be cautious of the voices that we listen to. Again, in Psalm 1, we see that the righteous man meditated on God's word day and night. This was the thing that consumed his mind. And whether we recognize that we're actively doing it or passively doing it, this world is filled with voices. Right? Whether it's media, whether uh, it's the music that you listen to, whether TV that you're enjoying, uh, whether it's you know, the conversations that you have at your break time at work. There's voices that are speaking to us and telling us certain things. And we have to make a decision on a daily basis. Are we going to listen to those voices? Are we going to listen to the counsel of the wicked or are we going to meditate on God's word? And we can even see from Psalm 1 that the meditation of God's word is a way that we can actually resist becoming part of the counsel of the wicked. So what does that mean practically for you? Find ways that you redeem your time. I was challenged by a, a few of the men here at Cornerstone to just 
find ways to ingest more scripture, find ways to just surround myself more with scripture. And as I thought about it, I recognized that I've got about 30, 35 minute commute which I think is kind of light, depending on where you live in Virginia Beach, right? That's like a blessing, having only a 30-minute commute in Virginia Beach. Uh, so I've got about a 30 to 35-minute commute here in Virginia Beach, and usually that was being spent with listening to music, um, some, and you know sometimes good music, and there's nothing inherently wrong with listening to what we would call secular music. But I could redeem that time. That could be 30 minutes where I could instead listen to God's word being read to me. And of course, I mean, in this technological age, your opportunities to reach out for something like that is just endless, right? And that has just, that's turned into a time for me that's just been a real blessing. I mean, 30 minutes of just solid someone reading scripture to me and just kind of getting washed in God's word before I step into the workplace and kind of encounter all of the different things that I'm going to encounter in that workplace is a blessing. So what, where are the, the times in your day or in your evening where you're choosing to listen to voices and, and maybe those voices in and of themselves are not a bad thing, it's not evil per se, but how could you be spending that time better to wash yourself in the word? Um, I think our last application, I want to jump down to verse 6 again. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. As our final point of application, maybe you're sitting here and, again, you, you don't feel like a firmly planted tree. You feel like the circumstances of life are storming around you, that there's difficulties, uh, whether it's in the workplace or family life, you feel like maybe your life is tumultuous. If you are a believer in Christ, the promise that you have is that God knows your way. God intimately knows the details of your life. And while there's no promise in this psalm that God is going to remove the storms of this life. That's not the promise. The promise is that in Jesus Christ, we can be firmly planted and that we don't live our lives through understanding them through the circumstances of this life, through the difficulties and trials. We live our lives knowing the objective truth of God's word, that even though we don't feel like it, we are a firmly planted tree, and that God is caring for us in every little detail. God is not only our refuge, but he is that river that feeds us daily. So be comforted in the fact that God knows your way. And that no matter what it, it feels like you're going through in this world, God is not far off. And because we know his sovereignty as well, he has actually numbered our days. He has actually brought us to 
this place, brought us to the storms of this life, that we would endure them, and that he would conform us to the image of his son through them. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that your word tells us and shows us who we really are. And Father, as we see in Psalm 1 today, we, we cannot fulfill, there's no way that we can fill, fulfill this way of righteousness. We cannot fulfill your law. But we are thankful that Jesus Christ, your son, has done it for us. We are thankful that by your spirit, we can enjoy the blessings that he has won for us. And that because of him, you know our way, you know our path. You care for us on a daily basis, no matter what the circumstances are of life. Father, I, I pray that you would work in your people a hunger and a thirst for your word. That we would go from this place as we go back into our homes, into our workplaces, and that your word would just rest on our minds on a daily basis. And that you would bless us spiritually through that. That we would enjoy the pleasures of you. That we would delight in you and your word. So much so, Father, that we would be encouraged to proclaim that word to those around us. Again, Father, we thank you, and it's in your Son's name that we pray. Amen.